Hello and welcome to page one, the Writers Podcast. I'm Marco. I'm Tarek. And wait, Tarek, who's this? Oh, who's that? it's Timmy. <laughs> <laughs> I've been released from the cupboard of dispatching page ones for a special appearance <laughs> on the page one podcast. <laughs> Tim, Tim is, you may have heard if you've listened to the podcast before, we have referred to the boss in quotes. And Tim is that man. Or legend. I the myth. I don't think we've called you legend. Ah, the man, the legend. The I obviously person. haven't listened to all of them yet. <laughs> um, so, yeah, no, uh, Tarek, this is a one of a special series of episodes we've recorded at the Fringe with comedians to find out about their writing process for their stand-up shows. Um, and we recorded these at a variety of venues across Edinburgh. So the sound quality does vary at times. We, we sometimes recorded them at the venues themselves. But um, Tarek wasn't able to make all of the interviews, so Tim kindly agreed to step in. Interviewer extraordinaire. Yes, and I think, Tarek, you're out of a job. <laughs> I've been waiting 112 episodes for this day. <laughs> I'm finally free. <laughs> well, you've not heard my ones yet, so we'll see, we'll see how that goes. We'll see how it goes with the listeners. But yeah, um, so uh, we will get uh, straight into these special episodes. We're releasing... Uh, at least one a day this week. They're very short uh, episodes, but hopefully very interesting and funny, of course. And we'll play a quick advert for a writer's notebook and then we'll get straight into the interview. But for now, on with the podcast. See you later. The blank page. To some, it's terrifying, an obstacle to overcome. But we prefer to think of it as an opportunity, a blank canvas to be filled with all of the adventures and characters in our head. So how to overcome that fear? Well, we all know the best advice for a writer is write. Seriously, get words on the page and more will follow. But what about later, when you start trying to pull those threads of what you've written together? What about the character you wrote about way back at the start? Who was she again? What was she carrying? And where did she leave the MacGuffin that she now really needs in the third act? Think about all those top thrillers you like to read. Or that amazing drama you just watched. What did they all have in common? Structure and planning. As aspiring writers ourselves, we've tried many different methods to try and organise all the thoughts about the stories we want to tell. We've been there searching for a piece of scrap paper to note something down, or making a quick note on our phone in between meetings. Or sometimes we'll make a note in whatever notebook we're carrying, or a document on our laptop so we don't forget that great idea. Let's be honest, it can all be a bit messy and it's easy to lose track of everything. And that's when we realised it's not just a story that needs structure and planning, but the way we gather all of our thoughts about it as well. And so we made Page One. Page One is more than just another notebook. It's a place to put down all your ideas for your latest project, divided into easy-to-use sections that will help you plan your story, so that when that blank page comes calling, you're ready to answer. And then afterwards, once it's written, we realised you need to plan how to let people read it, so we included a section relating to submissions. Each one is designed for one project, whether you want to write a book, screenplay, a comic or any other kind of story. We truly believe that when you use it, it will help you get to the main event, writing your story. So we hope this helps. We can't wait to read what you come up with. And remember, every story starts with page one.
Hello and welcome to this very special episode of Page One, the Writer's Podcast. I'm Marco. I'm Derek. And we're joined today by Jacob Potley. Thank you for having me. Uh, Appreciate thanks, it a lot. Thanks for coming on to the podcast. So, uh, Jacob, you've got a show at the Fringe this yeah. year. Um, I normally start these episodes when it's an author by saying, did you always want to be a writer? So, did you always want to be a comedian? Well, funnily enough, I always wanted to be a writer. Oh, there well, you go. That, <laughs> it's just, I, I found this to be a much easier writing <laughs> to find work in. Um, I, I always did want to be a writer. I, that, that was always what I wanted to do. And I think growing up, um, the sort of forms of writing that I really started to appreciate was TV writing and stuff like that. And yeah. I think at the time that I was growing up, there were a lot of TV writers who were also comedians. Um, Ricky Gervais was one... Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there, there's loads who, who and, and still are plenty who kind of straddle the two yeah. forms. And so, stand up for me was something that I was like, this is going to be part of what I do in terms of writing. Yeah, I, I'd like to think it'd be something that opens up other avenues in terms of other writing opportunities, and it has. Um, but it's ended up being the one that I'm most in love with. Oh, Am I right to say that you, unlike a lot of other stand ups, you did a, a course? It's been a specific module on stand-up comedy. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, <laughs> I, I did a university course, a theatre arts course, and I, I, I was sort of when I was eighteen, so I, I knew yeah, I wanted to do sort of writing of some form. But you don't, you, you know, when you're that age, you don't know. Yeah, you're sort of looking around, and there's, you know, there's a thousand sort of new universities. It's never the old traditional ones; it's the yeah, new yeah, universities yeah, yeah. and these now creative writing courses, and you don't know what any yeah. of them are actually promising. Yeah. And you, you know, you're 18, you don't... Yeah. I just knew that stand-up was something that I wanted to do, and so what I ended up doing was actually picking a, a theatre arts course purely because it had a um, a stand-up comedy module at the end of it. And I've got to be honest, you know, you know I, I'm going to say this on this one because I'll, I'll often be flippant, and when people talk about this, I'll say, yeah, I just sat through two and a half years of theatre rubbish and, and got, to, got to the end and did the stand-up. But I've got to be honest, I... I found this sort of devising element of the theatre stuff and writing elements and stuff like that. I found it really interesting and, and you know, learning about, as you do with the, I don't know if you guys have done any kind of theatre train, uh, training, but like theatre writing courses or anything like that. Really. You learn about people like Bertolt Brecht and mm-hmm. and these, these writers who've completely changed the form of theatre and they've done so for a certain purpose, whether that's political or societal, based on the time they were writing. And it, it's fascinating. And, and it, 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 what I think it does when you study that is it teaches you to write with a bit of purpose yeah you know it, it yeah. makes you go right you, you study all these people you know people who've risked their lives due to the political climates that they're growing up in to write about something they care about and you go well fucking hell if they can risk being captured by the nazi party and killed <laughs> i can try and write stand up with a bit of fucking feeling and heart behind yeah, it that yeah. actually means something rather than jokes about my penis you know so, <laughs> i mean i've never really said that before but that, that's that's something I don't know whether the theatre course taught me that, but it teaches you to value stuff that's got a bit of purpose behind it. Yeah. Know? Okay, I see that. I mean, well, I mean that that brings me on to the next question, which is that you are someone that does tackle big, important issues in your in your comedy. Try to, so, yeah, 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 yeah. So, I mean, you know, how how do you go about that from a technical point of view, from a writing point of view? Do you, do you pick the issue and then try and work? Well, it's. I think in terms of the kind of technical point of view, it's interesting because. What's very easy to do is just every funny thought that comes into your head during the day, pop that into a Google Doc, expand it a yeah. bit, st- stick a kind of 
an ending on it, whether that be a kind of twist of logic or a callback of some sort, and there's your bit of stand-up. Yeah. And, and what it teaches you to do, which is the much more difficult thing, is to rather than have this kind of scattergun approach of going every half-formed idea in my head, let's develop that, is to write to a purpose. And so the, this, this festival is the perfect opportunity for that because you kind of go, right, each year... I want to write about something and and I, this is my third show and I think I've done that so far in terms of going right the first show was about this the second show was about that this third show I've written it to a purpose and it, it means you either have to ignore ideas that are not relevant to the topic or the theme or the idea that you're writing about or you have to find a way of making them relevant and the, I've found over the years that everything tends to be relevant because you, you know, say you've got a joke about shredding or whatever, so it's some irrelevant, yeah, facile yeah, yeah. topic. Yeah. There is a reason you're thinking about. It. Like, if you're the person who's thought of the topic you want to write about, there's also you're, you're the same person wanting to write about the shredding. So, yeah. so there will be a link a there link. somewhere, yeah. you know. And I'm, I'm sure that's I'm sure that's relevant in other forms as well, whether that be novels or, or screenwriting and stuff like that. Is what might feel like an obscure idea. Yeah it will have its roots in the things yeah. you care about. It's just about finding the ways to unpick that. You know? Yeah. And, and I think I'd read that you said in an interview that the the stuff that you cover in your stand-up, it's not about making people feel awkward about a topic or, or, or something, but it's about making them consider an issue from a different point of view. Yeah. Is that something that's quite important to you? You can have that kind of I, look at things and then... Yeah, I think so. I, I think... I've, I've found personally in my... My background means that I know a lot of people who are the butt of the jokes at these festivals. Do you know? Yeah. Do you know yeah. what I mean? In when I was doing my first, I, I came up here in 2017, but I sort of debuted in 2018, and there was a lot of anti-Brexit stuff at this festival. Yeah. And where I come from, it's a lot of Brexit votes, and so I, I'm I'm not a Brexit voter myself. I was someone who voted Remain and, and would have done would do so again. But I, I, it does mean I've got a level of empathy with people who. Mm. Yeah, potentially think differently and so when I try and approach topics I try and so, so I've, I've got a big routine at the top of my show about um, getting vaccinated and the way that people moralise that decision Yeah, and I, I've I, I'm quite proud of the fact that I've done that routine in front of people who've been vaccinated and people who are staunchly anti-vax yeah. and they both laugh and I can ridicule the anti-vaxxers it's not difficult <laughs> <laughs> But but I can also get them back on side by ridiculing people who make a big moral point of yeah. the fact they're vaccinated. And so I, I think for, for me, anyway, as an audience member, I, I always enjoy co- comics who can who can shoot both sides. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I I, I think it's very easy to, to to wear your political colours, you know, loud and proud, and to just argue against the other side. We can all do that. I think I think what's more interesting is if you can kind of fire both ways and show an, a level of empathy. By by saying I, I can also ridicule the people that you disagree with, yeah. Even if that's me, yeah. You know, and is that I suppose is that one of the strengths of humour or stand up? Is that you know jokes are able to get past the defences of a lot of these people? Exactly, yeah, exactly that. Exactly, and I think you only do that by by kind of showing empathy by by kind of being a floating voter and shooting both ways. I, I this 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 is boring debate in comedy you can't talk about certain topics and you get yeah. cancelled and stuff yeah. and, it, and it means that on the other side of it you get these kind of like um, sensationless kind of trying yeah. to upset yeah, people and, you, know, you yeah. see even on the biggest stages you know Ricky Gervais does <laughs> yeah. a big a big routine about um, transgender people and, and you know I, I think it's pathetic 
But the flip of that, it, it was interesting. When that happened, I saw people sharing a James Acaster routine where James Acaster takes, yeah. takes the piss out of Gervais. And I, I was there at the recording of that because I'm friends with James's girlfriend. And I, I think it's a great routine. But I, I saw some interest online saying, I wonder how many people who don't like transgender people would watch James and just go, well, that's another, that's, that's another idiot who just dislikes me and is trying to shut me down. Yeah. And I do wonder if you can connect with those people a little bit better by kind of offering a bit of leeway both sides. Yeah. You know, that, yeah. that's, that's kind of going full blast in one, in one, in way, one direction. You're yeah. never going to catch the other people in the other direction. Yeah, totally. That's not me saying we should all sound a bit like Ricky and a bit like James. That's not me offering any sympathy to either side of that debate. It's just, I just think the more skilled and the most empathetic thing to do is to offer an argument on both sides. But, but it, it, going back to the writing side of things, the way you've spoken to authors as well, it, the there's often this idea that you know some authors really want to tackle a bigger issue through the medium of fiction, and it's by doing that that you can reach a lot more people. Because if you just give them a plain lecture on something, tell them right or what's right or wrong, then they're yeah. not going to be interested in it at all. But if you tell it through the medium of a story, then you'll engage a lot more people. As well, so it's kind Absolutely. of the same thing. Yeah, I mean, it's like if, when you go to the cinema, would you go to the cinema to watch Newsnight? Yeah, yeah. No, exactly. But you'd, yes. go, you'd go and watch a, a Christopher Nolan film with a good story behind it. And, and I, that's kind of. I, I don't think I've ever stood on stage and gone, this is what I think and here's why. Yeah. I'd, I'd, I'd always try and hide it behind anecdotes or stories yeah. from my own yeah. life. And I, th- I think that's kind of. that. That's, again, it's what I appreciate when I'm watching comedy as well. It's, it's people who. It, it's always that thing in writing show not tell yeah. right so, yeah. so, so, so tell, tell me a story and I'll be able to understand your angle or your attitude through your actions within the story without you saying yeah. by the way I'm pretty left wing <laughs> you know what I mean? so, yeah that, that's, that's what I appreciate well, well so let's go let's chat about your writing routine you know, what's your approach to writing what, do you sit down and you, do, you, do you say this is what the topic I want to talk about so let's think about it or do you do you sit down 9 to 5 you know what's your kind of I do try to I do, I do try to um, so I'll it, my, my, my show this year is about the fact that um, I had a child me and my partner had a kid together quite unplanned and quite surprising and so that that does change I don't know if you guys have got children yeah. but it, yeah. it, it really does change the way you yeah. work and the way you write and especially because four nights of the week I will travel in the evening and go and perform somewhere so it's balancing how much it you know I'd love to say I do Monday's Friday nights five but it just wouldn't be fair yeah. and realistic for my family to do that so yeah. I do try and do that as much as I can but I've learned over the years what's actually practical and I've learned that if I do just set myself ten to one on a Monday you're going to write about this I'm not going to write yeah, yeah, you, yeah, you know yeah, it, it won't happen yeah. whereas I, what I've learned is to so it's from speaking to other comedians and, and really what I think is most important is focusing on your angle and your persona and trying to instill a kind of thing in your head where you're constantly writing. So I'm writing as I'm driving home from the day yeah. in the morning. Yeah. I'm writing, it, it, like I say in my sleep, it sounds ridiculous, but I will wake up at one in the morning and go up and I did and then write that. And so it's just... I think if you've got a constant idea of what your angle is, what your persona is, it means you can pick up that magazine there and read the page and go, I know what the funny thing I do on stage, that what that person would say about this page, and I could write okay. it down. And so, so you could apply your everyday life almost through the prism of the character. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and yeah. And, and it sounds ridiculous because I'm not playing a character on stage, I'm myself. 
but it's much more useful to think of it as a character. Yeah. Okay. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bit, totally. and, and, and it's funny, often the best comedians do that. Stuart Lee will always refer to himself in third person. Yeah. Um, Maria Bamford does the same. Tim Key does the same. It's, it, it's interesting because, you know, I, what I've learned over the years is um, I used to think that the material came first and the performance and the persona came second, and it's the other way around. And I, and I think that applies to... You know, screenwriting and stuff. I've I've done bits of screenwriting in my time, and, and there've been times when I put the story first, and it's I personally believe that was wrong. I think I think it should always be character first, mm-hmm. and if you've got a strong enough character, you could you could put them in a fucking fairground, you could yeah, put them yeah, on yeah, a football yeah. pitch, and you yeah. could make them do what you want them to do. And so, essentially, that's what I'm doing with the stand-up: is focusing on the character on stage, and knowing that whatever happens in life, I know how he would make it funny. Yeah. And so, for yeah, for the last couple of years, the thing that I am trying to make him find funny is the fact that I've had a child without necessarily planning to um, and what that's done for me and the, the, the sort of considerations I've had about that and what, what that's happened in terms of my little journey and how that's viewed through that prism of what I do on stage. And so it's meant that I write to a purpose a lot more, but it's also made me more opportunistic in the sense that every gig is an opportunity to write something new and you know if if I'm thinking about how the character reacts to stuff the the most fertile ground for writing is when I am the character which is when I'm on stage and so it's learning to just let myself take more risks on stage you know rather than going up with a a kind of script which is what what we almost do sometimes um, it's going up with two notes I'm going to talk about you know the fact that uh we went for the first scan yesterday and this, and just see what happens. Yeah. And some of it will be shit, but for the rest of it that's good, you know, audio record everything, transcribe yeah. it, yeah. read through it when it's written down, see where you can add some more jokes in. Um, I, I work quite communally, which I think is something that in the UK, stand-up comedians don't do enough. Yeah. We, we have this weird almost point of pride where we all work alone. Yeah. Whereas in America, it's all writers' rooms, it's SNL, they yeah. all contribute together. And I, I'm really fortunate that where I live in North London, all the fucking comedians live there. So, <laughs> so some of my best friends and some of the best comedians I know, Pierre Novelli, John Kern, Sarah Barron, they're, they're all very local to me. So I can call them and go for a coffee and go, I've had this idea, what do you think about this? And, yeah. you know, Pierre especially has helped me with a lot of my show and I'd like to think I might have helped him with a couple of bits. Yeah. And I think it's just, just, in years gone by, it was like, right, you know, put three hours aside on a Monday, sit in front of a Google Doc and batch yeah. it out. And now it's realising that that's not the best use of time. You, you better spend it going for a coffee with your girlfriend, going and doing stuff. That, the worst thing you could do is lock yourself in an office nine to five, 57 weeks a year. And what the fuck are you going to write about? Because you've been yeah. locked in an office. Exactly. <laughs> you, you're better off, you know, going around, living life, doing stuff, allowing things to happen to you, but just constantly having that comic voice in your head of how would the character react to these things? What's the observation? And also, it, you know, reading things on Twitter, you know, getting an idea of what people, what your audience are yeah. reading and what they're talking about and going, right, what what does my character think of those? Do you, do you try and read quite wide? Quite, and read yeah, 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 yeah. That, that, that's a big thing I'll do. I, I go out of my way to read, to read Daily Mail comment sections. I don't sleep well. <laughs> and, and you know, it's, it's not so aggressive. I think they're all fucking morons. But the point is, you've got to get out there because, because, because realistically, I'm going to perform some of them in this festival. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm going to perform to them on tour, and and I've got to. It's not about appeasing them, but it's about understanding how they feel, why they feel that way, 
so that I can factor it into the material. Yeah. It, it, it might be for a better way to take the piss out of them. You know? Yeah, yeah. It, but yeah. you have to be aware of it. And, and I, I think I think a lot of comics and potentially writers fall prey to just sitting in the same kind of echo chamber. Yeah, very much. Definitely and and kidding themselves that everyone feels the same way. Yeah. You, you see it a lot, actually, with, with comedians who just work in London. Because mm-hmm. I, I work all around the country. Yeah. And you'll go, oh, yeah, I've not seen him or her perform outside of London before. Let's see how they do. And they'll, you know, they'll come up to fucking Coventry or Wigan or whatever. Yeah. And not read the room uh, at all. They not read the room at all. Yeah. Not not know what they're yeah. performing in front of. And I'm, I, I think I'm slightly privileged in the sense that my my background is more that, mm-hmm. probably. <laughs> do you know what I mean? I, I was probably closer to Wigan Pier than I was yeah. Islington. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. Not geographically, but, yeah, but yeah. So, so I've got a bit of an outlook on that. But it, I think that's so important. And, and I'm fortunate, actually, that all my friends from home are a much more diverse way of feeling and thinking. And, uh, you know, they're sort of working class as builders tradesmen stuff like that so a lot, a lot of them are Tory voters Brexit voters blah 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 but yeah there's a lot of stuff I disagree with but at least I understand the perspective yeah. you know, I think it gives yeah. you a more rounded view of the world you know? and uh, what you were saying there about sort of audio recording and stuff it, what I'm learning doing these interviews is that the process of comedy and comedy writing itself is a it's a much more analytical process than it appears Yes. the general audience you're always honing and working and trying to work out why something yeah. landed why seems something very kind of off the cuff doesn't yeah. it and yeah. like ad lib a lot of it is very methodically worked out first time I did a show on the radio I, I did the, the BBC like new comedy awards just like little competitions yeah. so you know for new comedians I did it went out on radio 4 so a few of my friends from home listened to it <laughs> my best mate Big Dave he messaged me being like it was really good mate but I did get the feeling that you'd, you'd said some of that stuff before <laughs> <laughs> I've been practicing for months <laughs> to get the set as tight as I could. And it, he so it was like new stuff on him. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah that, that, but he thought it all was. He, he watches McIntyre do his roadshow and he thinks he's coming up here to come. But it, I, I think that's, a lot of people think that. Yeah, a lot of people yeah, outside totally. of sort yeah, of, yeah. you know, comedy savvy audiences, they think yeah. that's the case. But you're right, it, it is analytical. But also, be, it, you have to you have to create for the form that you're for the product that you, yeah. you know so if I've so I write for the Metro quite a lot I, I do like a column once a month from yeah. to be honest with you, I've been skint recently so I've been doing more than one just to <laughs> take it but that I, I can write that on a Google Doc piece of pitch because what I'm writing looks like the finished product yeah. whereas the more you write your stand up on Google Docs or even on paper it looks like something that should be read on a screen or on paper rather than something that should be read aloud. Stuart Lee did, um, released a book years ago called How I Escape My My Certain Fate. Um, and what was really interesting about that, he, he included in it transcripts of three shows that he did at Edinburgh, but proper transcripts. So sentences included repetition and mm, ah, mm, uh, uh, ah, well, you know, uh, and, you know, a lot of them ended in short and stuff like that. So, but you realise that that's the register that you're going to perform in. So it almost doesn't make sense to try and write the material in perfect sentences. So, so hence why you have to focus more on how you say it on stage and, and try and do the writing on stage yeah. but then you kind of need that analytical thing afterwards to go right that that was how I did it with the adrenaline in the moment how how can I kind of refine it for next yeah. time so you, know? you were you write down like a kind of a, a, a joke or a kind of rough idea of what the joke's going to be perform it 
leave yourself enough leeway to perform it, kind of ad lib around yes. that a little yeah, bit, yeah, and yeah. then and then lock in your head. That's how I would say that line. What what, what I tend to do is just write the punchline okay. and leave the setup loose okay. because the punchline is the important bit. As long as you get there, you get home and you're safe. You get to the laugh, which is where you're safe and you're happy. You've got what you want. In terms of the setup. It's you want it as short and sweet as economical as possible, but also that, that that's where there's room for more punchlines. And so I, I I could show you my notepad right now, and essentially it's sort of like subheading six to ten punchlines underneath it, and I'll have written down the punchline in shorthand, but I leave the bit before it empty, and I can find my own way there. Yeah. And so and and it means that if if I do a punchline, I notice that you've laughed in a funny way, and I want to go to you and sort of joke with you, and and oh, you're with your mate, and we'll talk about that, and oh, okay, where'd you come? And you can go off tangent, off script, blah, blah blah. But I know that the next bit I'm coming to is the next punchline, yeah. and as long as it's the punchline, I'm safe. Whereas if I'd written down the setup, if you get thrown off it, then you get thrown off it. Yeah. And then, oh God, how do I get back? Yeah. To I the suppose t- everyone, yeah. it's the landing. That's what everyone thinks of. It's I mean, like, that's an important. It's, bit a, it's a weird yeah. comparison, but. Tarek and I for our sins but well, I was a lawyer Tarek is still a lawyer in court and it, it was exactly the same feeling I had when if you if you wrote out your questions for a witness and too precisely and they took you off on a tangent you weren't expecting it was very very difficult to get back, to get back. Right. Yeah. whereas you had it was much better when you focused on what is the bit of evidence that I'm wanting out of this person? Yes, exactly, exactly. And, it, and it's, it's the same objective for me. It's yeah. like, I'm not, I'm not thinking about how I get there. It's yeah. what I actually want from yeah. it, you know? And then, and then so you use those kind of touchstones and you'll see, you'll watch audience reactions and if someone connects with it, you'll riff with that a little bit and then, but you know exactly you've got your that. next touchstone. In the I've got the touchstones, that's where I'm safe, but I'm free to improvise around them. Nice. And through yeah. that improvisation, yeah, yeah. you find more stuff, and hence, I you know record every gig, listen back to it every night, and and and, and, and you know, in years gone by, I'd have said right by the first day of the Edinburgh Fringe, I want the show to be done. Yeah. And now, and it's you know partly because I'm going to go on tour next year, but also it's like if you keep it alive, if you keep like right, we're going to keep writing it, keep playing around, keep editing it, then then uh, it, it makes it more fun, you know. Yeah. Yeah, it keeps the energy going. It keeps the process going. Yeah, exactly. And, and yeah. I, I found, especially in my first year, you know, in your first year, you do like your debut show and you go yeah. keep all your best bits from the last few years in there. The bits were just dead behind the eyes. I was, you know, because I've done <laughs> yeah. them a hundred times. I didn't, yeah. I didn't want to change them. Whereas it's, it feels a bit more alive and it feels, I, I think as an audience, you can feel this yeah, fresher, you know. So, um, before we go, you have to tell us when is your show on and uh, where? I'm at, I'm at 1.25 every day apart from the 9th and I'm in The Hive this year which is run by Monkey Barrel yeah it's great it's great awesome uh, well the, before we go the last thing I always want to ask is um, what's the worst and the best heckle you've had <laughs> um, the, be- the best the best heckle I had I uh, I was struggling at a rough gig in Essex Um trying out new jokes written the jokes on my hands to try and sort of prompt me in case I forgot them um, someone in the audience shouted what's that in your hand <laughs> and I said it's my set uh, and he shouted out it would have been a short set if you'd written it on your cock <laughs> <laughs> that's, the, that's the best one that's the most skilled one I've kind of had um, the, wor- the worst I don't know man I mean the worst ones, the like. I mean, I say because that was a joke, but that was fucking funny. But you, you get some. It's just where they're trying to be funny yeah, all yeah, along, yeah. And, and, and the problem. Is, and I'm not. I'm not 
the sort of persona I present on stage, I'm not a sort of big brash, you know, ah, smash you down. I always try and be nice. The problem is, if, you, if you're nice when someone's trying to be funny, you go, oh, yeah, nice one, yeah, well, good one, well done for having a go. And then do it again, you're like, oh, and then you, you, no, have to turn you into, always need yeah. to be a bit of an yeah. asshole to show it. Just turn into the teacher. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> you have to fucking sit outside. <laughs> but yeah. Well, uh, thanks very much. Thank you, gents. I really appreciate it, man. Yeah. Really Cheers. Yeah, yeah.